Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. And a good morning to you. It's April 8th, wonderfully warm today. First day I came to work without a jacket. God, wonderful. Just feels so wonderful. Anyway, <laughs> where to begin? This is always my problem on Monday when we've had like two and a half days of, of horror pile up since we last uh, spoke. Uh, so uh, Kirsten Nielsen is out as head of the Department of Homeland Security. Um, and quite clearly because uh, she wasn't vicious enough for uh, our president. Um, she only killed two children and uh, separated uh, tens of what, 40, 45 others that are still not with their families and stuck all kinds of them in cages and cold temperatures and uh, just didn't quite get the job done. So she's now out. This comes on the heels um, over the weekend of, I mean, there's absolutely nobody in charge of many of these agencies. They're all acting, acting, acting. So there's an acting now head of, Nash, uh, of Homeland Security. Uh, right now there's an acting head of ICE. And the guy who was widely expected to get the job, the guy who's been there forever and was the, I guess, deputy, um, was passed over. It was assumed he would get it. And uh, Trump tweeted out over the weekend, uh, he's a great guy, but we're moving in another, a tougher direction. Uh, okay, so Nielsen wasn't tough enough. This guy, who believe me, plenty tough, been at ICE for a long time, he's not tough enough. We are, um, I think, going to see uh, more and more, not only doubling down, but um, really appalling people being put in positions of, of power. And every week there's, you know, new names that come out, somebody nominated for this or for that, and you, you can't believe <laughs> what you're seeing. Get used to it. Get used to it. Um, I don't think that there has been ever a presidency in which the uh, tenure of people in prime positions, powerful and important positions, has been so short. Uh, there is no stability, none whatsoever. The thing I find increasingly quizzical to me is why would anyone now work for this guy knowing that most people who do work for him are sullied, damaged, imprisoned. They end up having to hire lawyers at an alarming rate why would anybody making a calculation about their future? I know it's always uh, been an assumption that if you could put, you know, something in the, I served in the administration of a president, that's pretty impressive stuff. But not if it's this president. And Nielsen's pals are saying that she hung on as long as she did, not because she was in agreement with the president, 
but because she felt that she was already made so toxic by her employment in his administration that she didn't think she could get a job anywhere else. And um, I already saw something on Twitter today, somebody putting out there that, you know, let's be vigilant about who maybe picks up Nielsen, gives her a job, so that we can publicize that and go after them, ensuring that she will not be able to find employment. What a world. It's 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 nasty. It's terribly nasty. So, I was disheartened to see this morning a piece in the New York Times on a growing rift in the Democratic Party in the congressional delegation of the Democratic Party pitting the young uh, radicals against the party establishment. Um, it has to do with the fact that some, like uh, Alexandria Cortez, Ocasio-Cortez, I just, her name just gets in my way all the time. I know it, but I, AOC, uh, that she has um, been behind an effort to fund primary challengers to incumbent Democrats. That is how she managed to uh, become the uh, stellar uh, media and political figure she is now. She went after a, a sitting congressman who'd been there forever, who was very liberal by all indications and well-liked, and uh, she primaried him and she knocked him out and then, of course, won the general easily. And she says there's no way for young people like her to get in if they don't primary some of these older folks. Meanwhile, the person in charge of doling out money to congressional candidates for the Democrats, herself a congressperson, um, has said that any consultant or campaign manager type who uh, works for somebody primarying a sitting member will be cut off. I think I've got that right. It's pretty, it's pretty intense stuff. I mean, it's just open warfare. Let's see. Well, that's what I just <laughs> I'm looking at. For the House Democratic Campaign Arm, um, the DCCC, Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, these are the people that, you know, funnel money, help, whatever, or don't, uh, to the candidates that the party establishment thinks has the best chance of, of winning and retaining um, the majority that was gained in the last uh, midterm election. Um, and they're intending to shut down these primary challenges um, by breaking tie, I mean, r really, uh, sort of blackballing any consultants, pollsters, you name it, who go to work for a primary challenger, somebody who's taking on uh, a seated Democrat. Uh, AOC has 
responded by telling her almost 4 million Twitter followers that they might want to pause their donations to the Democratic Campaign Committee in protest. Now, this is the kind of circular firing squad stuff that Democrats do so well. I, you know, each, each contest is different. It is conceivable that a primary challenger to an incumbent Democrat could take, and always, this is like what happens, this is what drags the parties to the extremes. Um, Republicans are always challenged on their right. They get primaried by people who will be even less willing to, uh, to compromise. Uh, and, and so you get more and more and more partisanship. So now we're creating this thing where Democrats, and, and stop and think of somebody like a, a Connor Lamb. Uh, he would definitely be somebody that they would like to target. He's moderate, to say the least. But he's in a district that that's probably where he needs to be to win. Now, it could be that AOC is right and the good people of uh, Wexford and who knows, Westmoreland County are just waiting for a firebrand um, lefty to come by for them to vote for. But I, I don't pretend to know. Every district is unique and different. And a AOC for instance, as wondrous as she is as a politician and as an office holder, if you were to put her in Connor Lamb's district, do you think she would have won? I don't. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't. So they're taking on, this is, uh, they're taking on Pelosi. Uh, in this regard. And I, I just find it a little scary. I don't, you know, they're, they're one of the people they're, they're targeting. Uh, it, and by the way, there's an organ, they've got an organization called Progressive Change Campaign Committee. And they're targeting the head of the uh, Ways and Means, Means Committee, this uh, uh, Congressman Richard Neal, the one who's going after Trump's uh, tax returns. And they're going after him because he has not yet committed to holding hearings on um, Medicare for All. So AOC uh, takes no prisoners, fights really tough. And it, it just troubles me a little because of her short tenure and her probably somewhat blinkered perspective by virtue of coming from a New York City district, which is not a like so many other districts, such as the districts in these here parts. I don't know. I don't know, but it... Um, it it was upsetting for me to to read this. I don't pretend uh, to understand the the where to come down here. Uh, I only know one thing: the Democrats have got to hold and even build their majority in the House, and they have to try to wrest control of the Senate, and by God, they have got to evict the Republicans from the White House. But the Democrats are a party uh, that are not united and that have this uh, much younger, 
diverse and firebrand uh, left flank that um, isn't waiting around, you know, for the for seniority or uh, position to flex their muscles. This could be akin to, on the Republican side, like the Freedom Caucus, the, they, which heads off and pulls that party to the right. That has not helped the Republican Party in national elections. Um, I, my guess is it won't help the Democrats either. We got a lot of callers here. I am not surprised. Let's uh, head to the phones. Hello, caller. Go ahead, please. Hello. Go ahead. Hello, hello, hello. Hmm. What do we think? Hello? Anybody trying to talk there? What? Hello. I'll ask you one more time. I don't think it's your fault, but I'll ask anyway. Hello. Do we want to try the other caller? I don't know what I I don't know if something. This could be the weekend uh, gremlins at work. Damn. Can we get anybody in? Anybody talking to me? Hello. Hello. Can you can yes. you hear me? Yes. 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 Okay. So I just called and like a typical Democrat, you wouldn't listen to me. Uh, that's a joke, but. Um, Here's here's my complaint. Um, I've been going to some you know candidates fundraisers or whatever and trying to meet some candidates and uh, you know maybe it's the way I look because uh, you know I look like a Trump supporter because I wear a camo hat or something. But there's like a real arrogance to some of these Democrats. Uh, it's really annoying. Maybe I'm a little bit too thin-skinned. I don't know. Is this Joe? Yes. Hi, Joe. This is our um, Joe Pivo. Uh, so, who, where, where are you getting that feeling, and who are these? I, I mean, I get that feeling from some too. They're sort of. Uh, I don't know. Did you hear what Obama said? Well, I. Did you hear what Obama said over the weekend? He's, no, he's he's worried about this too. Um, and you know he doesn't speak out that often, so I'm just saying. Um, well, you know, I I uh, I just you know I was uh, talking to some real uh, I don't know involved Democrats or whatever, and you know the, I was just expressing my dis personal dissatisfaction with the democratic choice of uh, Hillary for president. And, you know, they were just like, looked at me like I just, you know, grew a thumb out of my eyeball or something. Uh, they could like, they could not even understand how I feel what a bad choice that was. You know, many of my peers are, are find her completely, repulsive, you know, just for, because of Fox News crap. And the fact that, like, nobody could pick up on that, that, that uh, of how toxic you know, so many she people was. were against her. Yeah, of how toxic she was. And even among young people, too. I, I mean, yeah, they didn't pick up on it. Um, they weren't listening. They weren't open. So I, right. I don't, so who, but that's old news. So who of the uh, 500 million uh, contenders for the Democratic uh, nomination uh, is interesting to you? Uh, I think that guy, his names you can't say. Oh, really? You like Buttigieg? Um, okay, I can say it now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there should be some nickname for him, like a, a well, name they do. They call too him evil Pete. to pronounce or something. They just call him Pete. Yeah, Mayor Pete. Yeah. Yeah, because, um, you know... Just like a Trump butter likes to trigger trigger any lip tart, I wanna I wanna vote for a gay man for president just to trigger some Trump voters. <laughs> I mean, there's more to it than that, but um, 
you know. Yeah. I, um, I'm on, I'm on, I think I'll always will be willing to vote for a gay guy for president just because. <laughs> just because it would feel good. So. And he, he seems really like a really good guy. I mean, he's not a he, – he seems capable of doing the job, let's put it that way, which is more than we can say for the current occupant of the White House. All righty. Hey, Joe, thank you. Appreciate the call. Okay. Good to hear from you. Bye. Yep. Bye. So long, bye. Bye-bye. And do we have a second caller? Hello, caller? Hello? Hello? Yes, go ahead. Me? Yeah. Hey, hey, Lynn, this, uh, with Biden saying he's not progressive, or did he not, did he say he was progressive? He doesn't like that label? Well, you know what? I don't like the label. I've never said the, the whole. I don't care either. I don't I, care about who labels. Who cares about or those words? But the, the, if, what, progressive. Right. Hey, let me just say this. <clears throat> I, the reason I don't call myself a progressive is because I I'm a liberal. That's what I am, and I think a uh, lot of liberals ran away from that term when the right wing, when the Republicans demonized it, right? And and Rush Limbaugh, libtards, and all that kind of stuff. So because they, you know, took the word liberal, which has a fine history, and destroyed it like that, they went on and decided they were all progressives. Well, I'm sorry, I'm still a liberal. I don't let Republicans take what it is. They tried to change the name of my party to Democrat party and liberal to a bad word. I don't let them, okay? So I don't care about these Friggin' labels that much. I don't yeah, know if he's it, called himself. You know what makes me mad is <clears throat> they're saying that the Democrats are Democratic socialists, or who gives a shit? If Medicare for all, um, fifteen dollar an hour minimum wage, go through the list is socialist, and sign me to fuck up. I mean, if you're if you're that fucking stupid that you don't realize you need those things in this country, and I know Bernie Sanders, I don't want you know I'd rather not have him, but if he's the nominee, I'm going to vote for him. He might be blowing steam. He's not going to have college tuition free and all that. But let him blow the steam. I don't. This bullshit be fighting between one another. You're all in the same boat. You got to get with the program. I just don't understand that. Oh, I'm not far left. Well, how far left are they? Are they really that left? Come on. They're I, not. Yeah. Well, it's Democrats. I, I, and I, no, it, it, I, we're just friggin' suicidal. Um, the left is not. We're not that far left. No. We're saying everybody. No. So what the hell? What? I don't get it. I, I, listen, this is what happens when you have a big party tent. You always have these tensions. You want diversity? We right. got it up the wazoo in every way, including diversity of, uh, you know, programs, points of view, all that kind of stuff. But if we don't keep our eye on the prize or if we start battling each other uh, with the right. intensity, which we should be battling Republicans, then we're dead. We're going to be dead oh, in yeah. the water. Hey, thank you. Exactly. Appreciate okay, it. Okay, thank you. Okay. Bye. I want to play for you this little, the audio ain't great on it, but it's, it's, you can hear it. God knows if you listen to this show, you're used to, you know, not being able to hear. This is Barack Obama, who has been incredibly quiet throughout the horrors of uh, this administration that succeeded his. And um, this is him. Uh, warning, I mean, assuming you still think he's got something to say, warning the Democrats about shooting themselves. Uh, listen, I'm not sure where he was talking, but this is over the weekend. Go ahead, please. What's true for me when I was a president or an elected official, it's going to be true for you as well, even within your own organizations. And one of the things I do worry about sometimes in the United States, maybe it's true here as well, um, is a certain kind of rigidity where we say, ah, I'm sorry, this is how it's going to be, and then we start sometimes creating what's called a uh, circular firing squad, where you start shooting at your allies, 
because one of them is spraying from purity on the issues. Uh, and when that happens, typically the overall effort and movement weakens. So uh, I think whether you are speaking as a citizen or as a you know, political leader or as an organizer, whether you're in the nonprofit space or in the civic space or you're in the political arena, you have to recognize that the way we structure democracy requires you to take into account people who don't agree with you. And that, by definition, means you're not going to get 100% of what you want. But you should take some time to think in your own mind and continually refine and reflect what are my core principles? Because the danger is if you don't know what your principles are, that's when you compromise your principles away. So you have to know ahead of time, here's what I'm willing to compromise on, here are the things that I'm not. You can't set up a system in which you don't compromise on anything, but you also can't operate in a system where you compromise on everything. Everything's up to grabs. That requires a certain amount of internal uh, reflection. Okay, that is the president. What was most um, unsettling, actually, um, about that is um, it was put out on Instagram uh, by the Washington Post, and the comments, <laughs> the comments. Here's one that's all too typical. I loved him until now. Screw you he says to Obama, and Pelosi. Closet conservatives, traitors. We're going to be in big trouble if these incendiary idiots take over. Uh, Milton's telling us, he obviously was out of the country, That was spe he was speaking at a uh, conference in Germany, Berlin Conference of the Obama Foundation. Okay. Now, I, yeah, I, I just think the Democrats are, have proven uh, very adept at screwing up opportunities, putting up the wrong candidate. And we've got, as voters who will vote in Democratic primaries, we've got um, a huge responsibility. And none of us are, you know, seers. None of us really know. But um, I'm... You know, I'm going to go with who I think is most electable um, because we got to win this election. And if whoever is most electable does not cross off all the checkpoints of what progressives want, well, that's, as Obama was saying, sorry. I mean, this is the way... A democracy works. You never get it all. And if you want it all, then frankly, you've got autocratic tendencies. If you want to control, if you want that much control, and if you want to tell people that their point of view is, makes them a traitor, <laughs> that their point of view is unconscionable, um, we're in trouble. A woman who was uh, born in China and ended up uh, living here, I think Canada actually, uh, wrote a piece in the Wall Street Journal and some of what she says I really agree with um, because I certainly have talked before about my discomfort 
at um, the left wing of the of my tribe showing these kind of autocratic tendencies. Um, and as I've said, I don't care if you're coming at me from my left or my right telling me that what I think is you know, sinful against party doctrine or whatever with the possibility that I will be sort of like excommunicated um, this th the thought police the word police on the left are driving me crazy and if the Republicans were not such a despicable party themselves I see why people leave the Democratic Party because of that tendency to police people's words, thoughts, speech. To me, it is as un-American as you can be. So this woman who, whose father endured the Chinese Cultural Revolution, she's looking at the way the Twitter mob works and how people are judged guilty immediately, are taken down, are, you know. And, and she says, I, it, for her, it is like triggering because it absolutely brings back what was happening in China in the Cultural Revolution. Yes, you know what happened there? Yeah. People who dared to think for themselves, to speak out, were publicly denounced by the mob, were forced to apologize constantly and recant publicly. Does this start ringing bells in your head? Because it sure does in mine. And as she points out, that whole thing of shaming and humiliating people who di divert somehow from whatever the party decides is the right path. Anybody who does that, who's immediately culled from the tribe and shamed. This is what I see going on on Twitter all the time. And as she has pointed out, the idea here is not to <laughs> is not to change these people's minds. The idea here is to shut them up and humiliate them and by so doing intimidate others from sharing their thoughts if they are not what we would term politically correct. This, I think, is what the caller, Joe, was talking about. And she says that in China, obviously, during this time, most people kept their heads down, kept their mouths shut. They were afraid to even say things to people they thought were their friends, lest somehow an incorrect thought would be reported. How different is that, seriously, from where we seem to be heading? And she says this, and I, and she's talking now about um, us, the Twitter mob, the social media mob, uh, cable news, the, the way we, we do political discourse now. She says, this is the need to enforce orthodoxy. 
and to destroy people perceived as political enemies because they said the wrong thing. They pile on. They destroy lives, careers, reputations, and they do it with gleeful-seeming abandon. I agree. They claim, and here's the part, they claim to act in the name of tolerance, <laughs> compassion, and diversity. Right? That's who these lefties are. They're the most compassionate people in the world. They're the most tolerant people in the world. They represent the most diverse people in the world, but they don't and won't allow diversity of thought all too often. Turns me off. Is not making me more one of them. Is turning me away from them. And I will not have them define me or intimidate me. The fact is, is that when you start telling people what they can think, what they can say, you are not about tolerance. You are not about diversity. You're full of it. And you have true autocratic tendencies. If Donald Trump was your guy, you'd be behind him. And there's more and more of these people. I can't take it. <laughs> Driving me crazy, guys. Okay. A few other things. Uh, Pete uh, Buttigieg, uh, maybe you heard this. This is a quote from him on his sexuality. It was during, a, I think, an um, interview on NBC. And he said this. The thing I wish the Mike Pences of the world would understand is that if you have a problem, he's talking about his homosexuality, if you have a problem with who I am, your quarrel is not with me. Your quarrel is with my creator. He's telling the ever-so-religious Mike Pence. God made Pete Buttigieg in his image. Among the most abhorrent things I saw over the weekend, and there were plenty, was um, Trump addressing this group of Jewish Republicans. <coughs> Trump, uh, yeah, Jewish Republicans, and here is what he said. <laughs> when I read the, when I read it, my I I I almost I, I, I my eyes bulged out of my head. My, I, I couldn't even... Here's what he said to a bunch of Jews, Jewish Americans. He looked out at all those Jews and he said, I stood with your prime minister at the White House. <laughs> Excuse me? I did not know I had a prime minister. I have a president, the current one of which is repulsive, but I'm an American. I don't have a prime minister. And this feeds in to the dual loyalty shit that gets Jews killed. BB. Netanyahu is not my prime minister. 
He's poor Israel's prime minister, and God forbid they re-elect him tomorrow. I stood with your prime minister, an American president, saying that to an American audience. The same president was wondrous in um, his anti-immigrant uh, blatherings this weekend. He, uh, again, uh, likened uh, immigrants to animals. He said, they're animals. Anyone who knows any history knows that that is the kind of language that always precedes genocide. And this kind of language has come with numbing regularity from this president. I think he's used the word vermin once, didn't he? That was uh, Hitler's word of choice for Jews. You first dehumanize. You don't allow these people to be a fellow human. You make them into animals, a pestilence, a plague. And to stand silent while we have a president sounding that way and scapegoating desperate people. One must know where that leads. We have a call? Caller, go ahead, please. It's hey Lynn, it's Jonathan. Hi, Jonathan. I uh I keep thinking of uh we have met the enemy and he is us. That is so true. And uh, yeah, it it really is. And I'll tell you every this this rigidity like Obama said. And I keep thinking of uh Susan Sarandon's scowling face at the convention Ugh. in 2016. And every time there's a Gorsuch or, uh, you know, uh, migrants put in cages or whatever it is, I think to myself, are you happy now? Are, yeah. you, are you happy? You know, that you were so rigid that you couldn't compromise and say, well, okay, you know, Hillary wasn't my choice, but I'd sure prefer her to Trump. Are you happy? And, uh, you know, we're shooting ourselves yep. for worse. Yep. And, and there's so many of them, and they never learn. They never learn. And they come. No, they'd from, rather be holier than thou yes, than win. That's right. Yes, they'd rather be able. So what's the solution? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> you know, you want them to. I mean, if they could just, I'll go back to like Robert Burns, the poet. If they could just see themselves as we see them, that they're they're they are not moving things forward. They are not. They're, they were, oh, God, I don't know. All of the people who voted right, who would not vote for Hillary after Bernie didn't get the nomination, all of the people who voted for Stein, um, they gave us the horror we are in now. And there's well, no doubt I don't about blame, that. Yeah, I don't blame Trump voters for Trump. I blame Susan Sarandon and Jill Stein voters for yeah. for Trump. Yeah. Just as I blame uh, Nader voters for uh, George W. Bush. Yes. I'm, and they will. They exactly. refuse to take the. No, they won't accept that uh, blame. But um, if you don't see the act, what the consequence is of your vote when it gets multiplied by a few thousand. Um, then, then I despair that they'll ever see that, that they are a big part of the problem, their unwillingness to keep their eye on the bigger prize.
That's right. Oh, Unfortunately. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well put. Oy. Maybe I'll get that on a bumper sticker. Yeah, oi. <laughs> All right. Okay. Love, love you. you. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Uh, it, it's Jonathan who sent me the uh, the Obama clip. Okay, in the in the 15 minutes that we have remaining, I want to share with you. The, I, seriously, I mean, I'm sorry. I'm about to scare you. Um, works for the Republicans, so uh, let's see if uh, it'll work. This was a front page story in the New York Times Sunday, maybe. Um, or Saturday, probably Sunday. And it is about this fungus. There's a fungus among us. And it's a killer. Because it does not, it doesn't keel over and die when we assault it with our fungicides. It does not. We can't kill it. We don't have a clue how to kill it, but it is killing people all around the world. And shh, people have been very quiet about this because they don't want to panic anybody. Here's the headlines on it. Fungus immune to drugs secretly, secretly sweeps the globe. And then the subheading, Mysterious Bug adds alarming dimension to dangers of overusing antibiotics and antifungicides, which we've been warned about forever and nobody pays any attention to. Well, we're in big trouble now. There was a guy at Mount Sinai Hospital in Brooklyn, and he had it. And doctors stuck him in an isolation ward. Doctors didn't even want to touch him. That guy ended up uh, living. It doesn't kill everybody. Some people with stronger immune systems can you know, fight it back. But for the very young... The very old, people with compromised immune systems or autoimmune disorders, the odds aren't good. It's called Candida or Candida auris. And it is spreading across the globe. Over the last five years, um, it has taken down people in Pakistan, South Africa, Venezuela, Great Britain. Uh, it is already been seen in New York, New Jersey, Illinois. The uh, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention have added it to a list of things that are deemed urgent threats. When the guy at Mount Sinai Hospital got well and was discharged, they went into the isolation room that he had been in and listened to this. This is the doctor, the hospital's president speaking. They went in to clean every last inch of that room. Everything, he says, was positive, meaning it had the fungus on it. The walls, the bed, the doors, the curtains, the phone, the sink, the whiteboard, the poles, the pump, the mattress, the bed rails, the canister holes, the window shades, the ceiling, every single thing in the room was positive. In fact, this virus spreads so easily and is so tenacious, it's fungus, and it's absolutely impervious to all the antifungal medicines that we have available to us. And they feel there's no doubt this is caused by our gluttonous use of antibiotics, antifungal medications, because those little bugs and fungi will always figure 
a way to survive. Antibiotics and antifungals are obviously essential to us, but they are now being so widely used in farming and in um, agriculture. Well, I guess that's the same thing. <laughs> um, and here's the problem. There's this threat, and I hadn't heard of it, never heard of this thing called C. auris or Candida auris. And here's the, it's buried in the middle of this uh, New York Times piece. Listen to this. With bacterial and fungi alike, hospitals and local governments are reluctant to disclose outbreaks for fear of being seen as infection hubs. So when these things happen, it could be happening right now, somewhere at UPMC. They ain't going to tell us. Because it could impact their bottom line. Even the Centers for Disease, this blew me away, even the Centers for Disease Control, under its agreement with the states, is not allowed to make public the location or names of hospitals involved in outbreaks. I can't even believe that sentence exists. I can't even believe that that is true. So if there is an outbreak in a hospital in your town, you will not be told. You or a family member could unwittingly go in for elective surgery at that very hospital, which you wouldn't do if you knew there was an outbreak of some frightening bug in it. The CDC agrees that it will not make public the location or names of hospitals. What? Think of when there's like an E. coli outbreak. What does the government do then? They marshal all their forces to try to find the where that come from. Where is that coming from? Where was that lettuce grown? Where is that artichoke from? And they try to find the source and they tell, so they can tell us, the people, to avoid that that comes from there. And here later on, in this article, first of all, nearly half of the people who contract C. auris, Candida auris, die within 90 days. That's according to the CDC. And yet they will not tell us where it is. I find this story so unbelievable. And, and then the article actually says, this hushed panic is playing out in hospitals around the world. As one doctor said, you would not tolerate this at a restaurant with a food poisoning outbreak. Ain't that the truth? So, this is, it says here in Chicago, 50% of the residents at some nursing homes have tested positive for it. The fungus can grow on intravenous lines and ventilators. Workers who care for patients infected with it worry for their own safety. Dr. Matthew McCarthy, who has treated several of these patients uh, in New York, described experiencing an unusual fear when treating a 30-year-old patient who had it. Here's his quote, I found myself not wanting to touch the guy. I didn't want to take it from the guy and bring it to someone else. There was an overwhelming feeling of being terrified of accidentally picking it up on a sock or a tie or a gown. They don't know where it came from. 
rather than worry about some of the stuff we're worrying about, maybe we should worry about that. Like Jonathan said, we found the enemy and he is us. Yes, let's look, you know, at things that are real. This is frightening to me. What, not, not that there's this super bug. There's always these super bugs. But that our government refuses, has agreed to let hospitals keep quiet when there's this kind of an inf infection that is untreatable? I mean, I hate to tell you this stuff, but amen, if it ruined my day, you can ruin yours too. I mean, I think it's something we should know. Oh, dear. Okay, so that's what I have for you. Well, that only took 10 minutes. Oh, well, then what am I going to do? Well, I'll tell you about this poor homeless guy in China. Read this in the Washington Post. Some poor guy has, you know, his hair's all matted to his head. He's got uh, his, he looks like a, well, he goes through dumpsters, and that's what he looks like. And yet, he was highly educated, and he says amazing things, and he now is called the Vagrant Master. He has become so huge in China online. He doesn't have a phone. He's not on computers. He doesn't know from anything, but they found him. And now this poor guy comes out of this abandoned place that he sleeps in, and there are hordes of people standing around with iPhones ready to record every utterance. Uh, he is called the master. He is, um, what did it say? That people live stream everything he says. He's shared across social media constantly. Um, and he quotes Aristotle, Confucius, Dante. <laughs> and he, I guess, says some really wondrous things, but um, he was didn't ask to be, here, I'll show you his picture. He didn't ask to be uh, found. Yeah? He didn't ask to be found. And it obviously changed his life um, being the vagrant grand master. He was trending on every social media platform in China. Um, where did I see that somebody spent some incredible amount of money to get something from him? I mean, it's just, oh, here it is. A 10-word piece of calligraphy that he wrote on a piece of scrap paper sold for more than $13,000. Um, a woman in a leather jacket claimed to be his girlfriend, and she got 400,000 followers within four days. It's not his girlfriend. A young man in a red coat purporting to be his child began making regular appearances on, um, on all kinds of shows. He, um, thank God, has stopped it. it, but he's had to disappear. So nobody knows. Um, he actually came out of his, this deserted office storeroom that he lives in. And, of course, there were all the people waiting to see the Grand Master. And he said this. This was on March 19th. I know people are treating me like a monkey. Nobody came to see me with a pure heart. You did this for money. And he has now disappeared. And I hope the poor guy is able to stay disappeared.
Although, of course, in China that is monitoring its people every every block, every everything, it it could be that they'll they'll I don't know. Here's what he did. He he got his hair cut. He trimmed his mustache. He got new clothes. And he put a note on his place that he squatted that read, Mr. Shen, that's his name, is exhausted and will stay away for a while. Thank you. God bless him, and I hope he's able to, uh, to stay disappeared. a different kind of Twitter mob that got him. They practically loved him to death. Okay, that's it for today. And uh, sorry if it was mostly downers, but God, stuff we got to pay attention to, right? Uh, Susan should be here tomorrow, and uh, I hope you have a great day. And, uh, well, see you then. Bye. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.